standalone message today. Uh, and it's going to be out of Psalm 96. And so if you want to turn there, Psalm 96. And uh, we're going to be exploring today how uh, God has a heart for the nations. And I'm excited about that. Um, and so, yeah, if you have your Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some hardback black ones that should be in the seat pocket in front of you, like right below the seat there. You can grab that. Uh, if you don't own one, it's our gift to you. Uh, if you do, you can just return it after uh, the gathering. Um, and so when you get to Psalm 96, if you would please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word, if you are able. Okay, Psalm 96, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is God's word. You may be seated. Hey, good morning. Hey, welcome to Providence. My name is Joseph, and uh, I serve on staff here as one of the pastors. It is a joy to gather with you today. I've been gone for a little while. I took vacation for a couple of weeks. I took that opportunity to worship with another church, and then I also had an opportunity to speak at that church uh, last week. So uh, it's actually one of our partner church, Higher Expectations. Pastor Bryant Lee was here, and so I got to speak there last week, and uh, it was a great joy, but it's good to be back home. Uh, whether you would consider yourself a Christian, not sure you're a Christian, or absolutely 100% positively sure you're not a Christian, uh, our hope for you is the same every time we get up and teach the scriptures each week, and that is that you'd taste and see the glory and goodness of Jesus, that you'd be radically transformed by his grace, and by his glory you would be compelled and overwhelmed with joy. And so uh, would you please join with, join with me? In praying to that end, we've got a lot to cover this morning, and we've got a lot going on in the rest of this gathering, so uh, I'll need all the prayer I can get. Thank you, guys. Father, we come before your throne of grace, and we humble ourselves in your sight, God, and we petition you by the blood of your Son, Christ Jesus, to hear our prayer this morning. Father, we ask that through the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit that you'd make your word clear to us that you'd convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would comfort us where our hearts need to be comforted, and that you'd compel us toward greater dependence and faithful obedience to what your word promises and to what your word demands of us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Okay, so last week, Court wrapped up our summer series uh, called Love God, Love People, and he talked about abiding in the love of Jesus and the importance of experiencing uh, and underscore that word, experiencing 
God's love for you. And I really do want to make this kind of like a part two of that final sermon because the sermon series this summer was entitled Love God, Love People. And I want to make sure that we cap everything off by this very important aspect of God's call in our lives to not just love him, but to love people. And that is to have a heart for the nations. So I want to talk to you and uh, I'm going to make it abundantly clear. We're going to go through Psalm 96 and I'm going to kind of use that uh, to, to obviously explain God's heart for the nations. And then we're going to get very practical because this is something that's actually kind of a turning point for our church that you're going to begin to see more of this fall. We talked about it in members meeting. Uh, we're going to be really seeing a whole lot more of that in the, the emphasis of our church this fall. And so I want to talk to you not just about abiding in the love of Jesus and the importance of experiencing his love for you. I want to talk to you about the love of Jesus abounding in us and how it is important for us to experience God's love for the world. It's important for us to experience God's love for the nations. And I do want to emphasize the word experience because oftentimes we tend to reduce God's love into some warm and fuzzy feeling that we utilize um, at times to lift us up when we're feeling discouraged or we're filled with doubt. But the love of God is meant to be a powerful and compelling reality in our lives. Amen? I'm not going to let you guys be quiet this morning, okay? Amen? It is meant to be a powerful and compelling reality in our lives. It's not just meant to be the soft, fuzzy feeling. It's something that's meant to be experienced in our daily life through God's ordinary means of grace and God's extraordinary measures of grace towards us, revealed to us in Christ, made available to us in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God's love is meant to radically transform and alter our lives. Amen. But here's the thing. We're not only meant to experience God's love for us, we are meant to be an expression of God's love to others. Yes, we're meant to abide in the love of Jesus and praise God and amen for last week's sermon because I think we all needed to hear it. Just to be reminded that God loves us and we need to abide in his love and revel in his love and be wrapped up and enraptured by his love. That's important for us to remember. But I, I want to make it abundantly clear and I'm not trying to yank the steering wheel over to the other side of the ditch, if you will. I'm actually trying to keep the car in the center of the road. By saying, yes, we need to experience God's love. We need to abide in God's love. But God's love also needs to abound in us, through us, and out of us. Amen. So we're not only meant to experience God's love for us, we're meant to be an expression of God's love for others. And another way to enjoy God's love for you is to realize that his love isn't only for you. It's for people that are radically different than you. It's for people that are different than you in their ethnicity. It's for people that are different than you in their socioeconomic class. It's for people that are different than you in their gender. It's for people that are different than you in their gender orientation or their sexual orientation. It's for people that are different than you in their belief system. It's for people that are different than you in their worldview. It's for people that are different than you in their politi political stances. It's for people that are different than you in their nationalities, right? It's for people that are different than you with different languages and tongues and dialects and expressions of speech. God's love is not just for you. It's for people that are different than you. And it's important that we be agents and ambassadors of God's love, not just for people who are like us or for people who make us feel comfortable. But if we are going to be God's people, then we have to take God's love to where God desires us to take it. And that is 
beyond the boundaries, beyond the borders of our safety and our comfort and out into the people that are different than us. And Psalm 96 shows us that right at the heart of our relationship with God, right at the heart of worship, right, because psalms are prayers of worship and songs of worship, right at the heart of our love for God, and right at the heart of worship, right at the heart of our relationship with Him is God's heart for the nations. See, there's, this isn't the only psalm that speaks with this refrain that God's glory is to go out to the nations and that those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who call God, God, would be those who take God's name and God's glory and God's goodness and God's grace and we, do, and we take it and we share it among the peoples of the earth. You see, this is something that's very passionate for me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of share a little bit of my own, or something I'm very passionate about. I'm gonna share a little bit of my own story because uh, having been a pastor at Providence now for roughly six months or seven months, eight months ordained and then being on staff for, for right out a year now, uh, I know that you guys have, have probably in some ways had, I'm just going to speak candidly, some of you have had, probably had to adjust to my leadership style, right? My leadership style is a little bit different. There's, there's, this, uh, there's almost like this, this cadence that I walk to in which uh, anytime I step into a church or anytime I step into a room with Christians, there's this cadence that I walk to, and, and it's almost like there's, there's marching orders that I feel like I'm walking according to, and, and anyone that's around me, oftentimes you'll get called right into those marching orders, and I've made it abundantly clear ever since I stepped on this stage for the very first time addressing the people of Providence that this church has to become outwardly facing, right? This church, because it is God's design for the local church, has to become a church that has its face not just turned inwardly toward the needs, cares, and concerns of the people in it, but we have to be a people who have our face turned outwardly toward the needs, cares, and concerns of our community, our city, our state, our nation, and our world. We have to become an outwardly facing church. Now, this is not some personal mission or vendetta of mine. This is something I'm deeply passionate about because I read it from Genesis to Revelation on the pages of the Bible that God desires for his glory to be spread, for his grace to be shared and declared and demonstrated amongst all peoples. And this is something that has gripped my life and has radically transformed me. So if you've seen me marching to this cadence of Guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, we've got to be on mission. It's not because I'm trying to lead you to do something that the Bible hasn't already called you to do. It's actually that I'm trying to show you that there is something that the Bible that has called you to do, that's called us to do as a church, where we will experience greater joy in doing it, even though it's difficult to do. That with God, because God operates in so many counterintuitive ways, God actually has designed it in such a way that when we do the hard things, we actually reap joy from it. As a young man, I grew up in a very, very difficult home. Um, uh, some of you know my story. Some of you know my background, my experience. I grew up in a home uh, that was filled with poverty, that was filled with abuse, that was filled with disease, that was filled with death, suicide. Um, physical abuse, sexual abuse. This was the narrative that I grew up to. And so um, when God saved me, and he did save me, I was not looking for him. As a matter of fact, I was looking to do anything and everything but have a relationship with him. And so one night, whenever I was at a silly youth event, <laughs> youth event that looking back upon was just way too cheesy for me to have even been there in the first place, but as a teenager, 
when I was at this event and God, by his Holy Spirit, overcame my stubborn and obstinate will and called me unto himself and saved me, he gave me a vision and a desire to see to it that other people like me would be saved. That people who were far from God, that people who were raised in broken and dysfunctional families would come to know Jesus. So the moment that God saved me, he also gave me a call and a burden to go and evangelize, and boy, did I do it. I went crazy. I went from being a popular kid in school to being an unpopular kid in school because of the way in which I began to evangelize and share the gospel and the good news of God's grace to all of my friends. And I'll be honest, it wasn't just God's grace. There was also a lot of moralism mixed in with it back then. You know, don't sleep with your girlfriend, don't do drugs. Like, that's just because that's all I knew at the time. But God started to use me to do that, to, to share the gospel and to evangelize. And my friends started coming to faith. And the youth ministry that I was a part of began to grow. And people started giving me a Bible and saying, hey, you should, you should lead people. You should teach people. And then as, as that became part of my calling where I started leading Bible studies and preaching and teaching and going to FCA and leading that and doing all the things that I was doing, God gave me this desire, continual desire to see to it that the gospel would go out and it would go out and it would go out. And then one day... After I graduated high school and I was working to save up to go to college, I met this beautiful young lady that's sitting on the back row back there. And we decided to start dating and we started talking with one another. We started dreaming about what our future might look like. And one night, I was actually sitting at the sanctuary of my old church, the church that I was saved in. And, uh, you know, I was young and they gave me the keys to the building. And so oftentimes what Emily and I would do, and this is not a joke, this is not to make us sound super spiritual, uh, Throughout the week, on any random night, um, we would go into the sanctuary, and we would <laughs> we would spend hours praying when nobody else was at the church, and we would ask God to use us and to give us vision for our lives and for His glory. And one night, we invited one of my friends, who had been a missionary in Nicaragua, to come join us and pray. And he prayed with us, and I don't even know how long we were there, but we prayed and we sat and we talked about the nations and we talked about what God was doing in Nicaragua and the places that he had traveled. He was just a few years older than me, and we were in our teens, maybe early 20s at that point, and he was just a few years older than me and, and told me about all that God was doing in the world, and our hearts were so caught up in this story of redemption that was happening in boundary, beyond the boundaries and borders of places that we had ever gone or experienced, and our hearts were broken because we looked around and we saw that there were so many people that had access to the gospel but didn't want to have anything to do with it. And yet we heard about all these people who had little or no access to the gospel and wanted to have everything to do with it the moment that they heard of it. And so we said, God, why not send us to a place like that? And so we had this conversation with our friend and he told us about this organization and these opportunities and we began to pray. And we got engaged. And when we got engaged, there was a vision. And I'm, I'm going to be very candid with you. I, my charismatic side is going to make some of the cessationists in the room very uncomfortable in this moment. Because when we got engaged and we began to pray and we began to ask God for vision and direction, what, would you, what we do, her and I both began to have dreams and see pictures and visions and images and actually begin to have experiences in prayer that cannot be explained rationally. I'm talking powerful, body-altering type experiences in prayer where there was like shaking and quivering and things on the floor in which we actually experienced God calling us 
to the nations, and in particular, we had a vision that we should go to South Africa, and we should join a program there, we should be, cha- we should be trained, and then we should see where God's direction takes us from there. And so, despite conventional wisdom, we were engaged, and we went and told our pastor, you know, we believe that we, we want to get married, and once we get married, as soon as we get married, we want to move overseas. We want to go be missionaries. And uh, our pastor was not excited about that, because he was like, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get over there, and that experience is going to destroy your marriage. But then we had, it's too hard for a young married couple. And one of the only times that I can say back in my life that I've looked at my pastor and said, I think you're wrong, I told him, I think you're wrong. Because when we would talk to other missionary couples, they would say, yes, the mission field can be hard, but a mission field will either make or break your marriage. And one thing that it might do is it might strengthen your marriage to a place that you've never experienced before. So we followed God's voice. We followed the visions. We followed the direction. We followed the confirmation from Scripture. I had all the confirmation that I need in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to go. And so we went. And we experienced incredible things over there. We experienced God's transformative power at work in our lives, through our lives, amongst people, loving and caring for those who are the least, the last, and the lost, going into hospices with HIV AIDS victims, going into orphanages and loving and caring for children, getting up and preaching sometimes three, four times a day to the point that I was utterly exhausted, open-air preaching, open-air evangelism, going, helping church planners, going into places that were outrageously difficult and unbelievably hard to deal with as an American, right? We were away from all your comforts, and the only food that you've got is like chicken feet and dry oatmeal or maize with sour milk on it and stuff like that, and just eating the most awful things that you could possibly imagine. But can I tell you, while we were over there, we experienced the love of God in our lives in a way that I don't know if I've ever experienced it since. So much so that when we got home from that long time over there, we were there for under a year, but over six months, I believe, When we got home, after being home for around a week, my wife started weeping. And she started weeping because she said, Joe, I don't know why, but I just don't have that sense of God's presence and power in my life right now like I did when we were over there. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do to get it back. I'm not going to go into why and what and how we all we navigated that, but I can say that it became abundantly clear to us at that point that God desired to use us to be vessels for his glory in places, hard places, where the least, the last, the lost dwell. And so we came back from that trip thinking that we might move over to Africa permanently, but then God had other plans. And long story short, we became youth pastors for a season, and then after that, we had a desire to plant a church. And when we planted a church, we didn't want to plant a church in and among people that had all the easy access. We still planted in Houston, but of course, I was like, I want to plant where there are the least amount of Christians in Houston. So we went to the Heights, Montrose area, and we planted a church there. And we planted a church that, by God's grace, would plant other churches, and these churches would be oriented towards the neighborhood, oriented towards the city, oriented towards multiplication. And ever since we've done that, I've been on this journey to say, God, where do you want me and my family to go to serve you, to see to it that your nation or that your namesake is made known among the nations. It's made known amongst diverse peoples. It's made known amongst people that would never have access to the gospel otherwise unless your people were sent there. And I share that part of my story because I want you to know that when you hear me 
and you see me, and you, you, you get that sense of, oh, there's Joe walking to that cadence, that marching, that marching order. This is what's forming and fueling a lot of that. It's my own personal narrative, my own personal story. Court talked about his sabbatical and what he learned on it. The year and a half that I took away from ministry, the one thing that God affirmed to me and confirmed to me over and over again is that, Joe, I'm not done with you. In the vision that I gave you, you're going to continue to pursue. But I found myself here serving Providence, and I'm saying, God, how can you use me here in this community? And I think it's become abundantly clear that God would use me in this church, in this season, in this role, to see to it that our church actually adopts a missionary posture. Now, I know not all of us, most of us are never going to go overseas and live there or do anything like that. Some of us might, though. But the reality is that we're all called to take part in God's glory being distributed amongst the nations and declared amongst the nations. And point one, and going back to Psalm number 96, I got to go through this relatively quick. You guys didn't give me a time, so I'm in trouble. Um, Brennan, what time am I supposed to stop just so I know? 9.50, okay, we're good. I was hoping you weren't saying right now. Um, so sing to the Lord a new song. This is Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So the psalmist says, this is what we should be doing. We should be singing to the Lord a new song. The whole earth should be singing to the Lord, that we should sing to the Lord and bless his name. We should tell of his salvation. We should declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. Did you know that there are over 6 billion people in the world? Spread out over 195 nations inside of what is believed to be 13,000 ethno-linguistic people groups. And God desires to have his glory declared among all of them. All 195 nations, all 13,000 ethno-linguistic people groups. Is this hyperbole that God desires for his marvelous works to make it to all the peoples? Most likely not. You consider Matthew 24, 14, where God says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all peoples, all nations, and then the end shall come. Or Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the day. Romans 1, 5, which makes it abundantly clear that God's gospel is to reach all nations, right? Revelation chapter 5, 9, where it says that there will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered around the throne of grace, worshiping the Lamb who was slain at the end of all things. I don't think it's hyperbole that God says here in this psalm that he desires his glory to be proclaimed among the nations in his marvelous works amongst all peoples. John Stott said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Let's keep going. Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. What is he saying here? He's saying that God is worthy to have his name praised among all nations. 
Why would we see to it that God's name is declared and praised among all nations? It's because he's worthy of it. He's worthy to have his glory declared. He's worthy to have his name sung in every nation that's on this earth. Or in every nation, in every tongue, his his name is worthy to, to come off of the lips of every person from every ethno-linguistic group. He's worthy of it. Brothers and sisters, I make this point all the time. Time exists. People exist. You exist. I exist. All of this exists so that God's name would be praised among the nations. And this can't be overstated. This is the story of the Bible. God desires to redeem reconcile, restore a global and diverse people to himself. And this is what the mission of God is all about. Time exists right now because God has a mission. The church exists right now because God has a mission. You exist right now because God has a mission. You have a job because God has a mission. You have breath in your lungs because God has a mission. You have money in your bank account, maybe, because God has a mission, right? All of it exists because God has a mission. And that mission is to see to it that his name is high and lifted, amongst, or high and lifted up amongst all people. Verse 7. He goes on. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with iniquity. But the psalmist keeps repeating a similar theme. The call to worship is a call that is meant to echo across the entire world. Not just in the chambers of our own heart. And not just within the confines of the four walls of this sanctuary. And not just within the comforts of our living room. Every Sunday morning we start with a call to worship here. And God is saying, yes, I want you to observe that call to worship. But I want that call to worship to not just be observed here in the sanctuary of Providence. I want that call of worship to be observed in every nation amongst every person. In verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Why? Why is it so important that we would be a people that are committed to spreading the glory of God, to declare and sing his praises among the nations? Because he's coming to judge them. He's coming to judge the nations. Life comes to an end for everyone. And at the end of our life, we face eternity. And for those who've put their trust in Christ, we will give an account for how we used our time, energy, and resources to glorify God and advance his kingdom. But for those who have yet to put their trust in Christ, their very lives will be put in the balance of God's judgment and they will be found wanting. They will be found guilty. They will be found without an advocate for their sins. And so it is imperative that we be a people that take God's mission seriously because quite literally, eternal life and death are at stake. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this as pastorally as I possibly can. If in your theology you don't have an urgency for evangelism and mission, then there is something wrong with your theology. 
because the Bible calls us to an urgency and mission. Romans 10. How will they believe in one whom they've never heard? How will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will someone tell them unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who go, who declare, who are sent. The second point I want to make is that the people of God are called to demonstrate and declare the glory and goodness of God to the world. And this is something that we do, not individually, but this is something that we share together. As I said in Matthew 28, 18, 19 through 20, Jesus calls his followers to make disciples of all nations. Now this means that every follower of Christ has a mandate to go, send, and support the work of disciple-making around the world. And being that the local church is a unified embodiment of God's people, all who are joined together in a local church should share in the burden of Jesus' call together. We should all share in this burden of disciple-making with one another, that God's called us to it, and so we're going to share in that work together. We aren't meant to go and make disciples of every nation all on our own, without any personal accountability or communal responsibility. We are called to the work of the Great Commission collectively, which requires a great deal of unity and intentionality about how we approach the task. This means that whenever we talk about being people who make disciples in our community and in our city and in our state, nation, and world, that we have to take a unified and prayerful approach to that. Given the scale of God's plan for redemption and restoration and the limitations we experience as a local church, right? We're only so many people. We only have so much resources. Given the limitations that we experience, we have to prayerfully discern where and how we should be engaged in the mission of God. However, we shouldn't be so limited in our vision that we can't see beyond the boundaries of our own city. We need to be bold and ambitious, but we need to be discerning and wise. Oftentimes what I see whenever I talk to Christians about this issue of going to the nations is they say, Pastor, brother, how can I possibly be concerned about the nations whenever my marriage isn't even strong? Or my kids, I can't even get them to obey Jesus. Or, uh, you know, how can I be concerned about the nations whenever my neighbors don't even know Jesus? Let me tell you this. If every single person waited until their life was put together and every single one of their neighbors knew Jesus, the gospel would never go out to the nations. God uses broken people to declare his glory. Paul oftentimes would go into a place, preach the gospel, begin a work there, establish the work there, and then he would move on. In Romans 16, we see this, this heart of the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm not going to go where the gospel has already been proclaimed unless I build upon someone else's foundations. No, I want to go where the gospel has not been proclaimed. I want to go there. But Paul says, yes, I know that there's work over here that's been established and is being established, but there's also work that still needs to be established, and we have to have our eyes, I have to have my eyes fixated on those places too. So he tells the church at Rome, I'm going to Spain. Spaniards don't have the gospel yet, so I've got to take it to them. But I want to ask this question. How do you think we're doing at that task? How do you think we're doing as a church? Not just this church, but the church. How do you think we're doing at the task of making the gospel unignorable? How do you think we're doing at, take, at, at the task of, of, of spreading the gospel to the all peoples and all nations, making sure that every people group has a gospel witness or a Bible translated in their own tongue? How do you think we're doing? 
how do you think we're doing at getting the gospel out? There's a little video that I wanted to show you guys, about four minutes long, and uh, it's kind of an update of the state of global missions. And uh, hopefully it'll be a little eye-opening to you, and I'll, I'll follow it up and explain some things about where do we go from here. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C, C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion, and together they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything, Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that 700 billion given to all Christian causes, only 45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from a church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year. 
those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? got work to do and this is something that I have been trying to get across to Christians for the entirety of my walk with Jesus I don't want to shame us into action I don't want that video to be one of those things where it's like oh my gosh there's so much need I feel shamed into doing something I want us to be compelled to obedience and empowered by the Spirit to act upon what God is putting in front of us. Now, I want us to see that God is actually inviting us into greater joy by inviting us to go into these places. And where do we start and what exactly are we supposed to do? How are we going to make a dent on any of those? Like you talk about World A, World, a, world B, World C. Of course, obviously, the, the, the Global Frontier Missions are making a a compelling case that we have to put a whole lot of emphasis on reaching out to world C. Right? And that's true. <laughs> we do. And we're going to talk about how we can do that. We do. But I also know that in our own city, as I said before, there are people who don't know Jesus. There are neighbors on your block who don't know Jesus. There are coworkers that you pass by with and rub shoulders and probably even drink out of the same coffee urn from every day that don't know Jesus. They don't enjoy the benefits of salvation like you do. There are people in this city, there are people in this state, there are people in this nation, there are people in world A, B, and C that all desperately need to know Jesus, but where do we start and what exactly are we supposed to do? How do we get on mission? First and foremost, we have to understand that the task that we're called to is a task of evangelism. People can't put their faith in a Savior that they've not heard of, and they can't put their faith in a gospel, or they can't respond to a gospel that they've never heard clearly articulated to them. And we're called to the task of evangelism as a people, as a church. We're called to the task of mercy ministry. And you say, I wouldn't go there, Pastor. I'm going to go there. In Matthew chapter 24, chapter 25, I'm sorry, Jesus says to a group of people, um, this is an image of, of Jesus where he says, at, at the end of all things, there's going to be a group of people standing before my throne. And then on one, on one side, there's going to be a group of people that I say, well done. When I was in prison, you visited me. Whenever I was naked, you clothed me. Whenever I was hungry, you fed me. Whenever I was, whenever I was alone, you took care of me, right? You visited me in my affliction. I was, when I was those things, you did all of these things for me. Go. And enjoy your eternal inheritance, Right? 
And then there's another group of people. He says, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Basically, he says to this group of people, you did nothing to serve the plight of the poor, to serve the plight of the marginalized, to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And he says, depart from me. Why? Right then and there, we see that Jesus cares deeply about mercy ministry. He cares deeply about people being cared for. And we have to be care, deeply caring for the same cause. We're also called to the task of making disciples in churches, planting new churches to see to it that the work of the gospel is perpetuated in and among certain communities and people groups. But how are we going to do this? I've got a few little plumb lines, and then I've got a very practical thing that we get to do at the end of this gathering today. And then I'm going to pray or lead us into communion, and then we're going to pray. Number one, how can we do this? Local engagement through home groups. We've been talking a lot in our home groups about being people that, out, that reach out and invite in. Just prayerfully consider what that actually looks like with your home group. When your home group gathers this trimester, take that seriously. Say, how are we going to reach out and invite people into our home group that don't know Jesus in our neighborhoods? Even though we belong to World uh, A or World B, and many of us obviously are, are, we consider ourselves part of World A, how are we going to do that? The next thing is not just through our home groups, but we have some local mission partnerships that we need to take more seriously. Number one, with Higher Expectations Church. We're partnered with a church that is in the inner city of Humble that is reaching out to some of the most poor and marginalized people in our community, in our region, and they are doing a phenomenal job of it, and they have invited us this fall to take part in a few things that they're doing. And I'm not going to list all of those out for the sake of time, but just know that when they show up in the invitations and the gatherings that you can take part in those things. Higher Expectations does a great job. They're doing this thing, this, this Thanksgiving, where they're going and boxing up a bunch of food, and then they're going and hand-delivering it to the people in the community that need it. And as they hand-deliver it, they're going to be praying over them and sharing the gospel with them. And they've said, Providence, will you join us in that? And I've already said, yes, so get ready for it. We're going. We're going to share the gospel with people in our community. And we're going to share food with them. And we're going to tell them that we love them. And that Jesus loves them too. You can get involved with orphan care. We have an incredible orphan care ministry here that is doing incredible things. So when you see things come up for orphan care, like the banquet, purchase your tickets. When you see things like things come up like fundraisers for families that are fostering or adopting, get involved. This is very near and dear to the heart and mission of God. There are families in our church that have adopted children from overseas. We being some of them. My sweet boy comes from Ethiopia. We have an Ethiopian in our midst. We have a Russian in our midst. We have a Kyrgyz boy in our midst. We have the nations have actually come and dwelled in our church through adoption. We also have some international partnerships that we are establishing this year for the first time, formally establishing them. One of them is with a pastor named Fola Foley in South Africa. And some of you have taken a trip to South Africa a few years ago with Providence to meet Pastor Fola. You know that Morgan and Kari have, have served with Pastor Fola. The interesting thing about Pastor Fola is the whole reason this church is connected with Pastor Fola is because I met Pastor Fola whenever we served as missionaries there over 12 years ago. And I connected Morgan and Kari and Providence by extension to Pastor Fola. We're establishing a, a better, stronger relationship with Pastor Fola. And I'll go ahead and take this time to say this now so that way I don't forget. We are taking a trip to go visit him and his work and share the gospel in the townships of South Africa, just outside of Cape Town, this spring break. 
the Providence is taking another mission trip, short-term mission trip. We haven't done it in a while, but we're going to South Africa, and immediately after this gathering and immediately after the 1045 gathering, we're having a 10-minute meeting in the office over there for anyone that's interested in going on that trip. And it will be 10 minutes because it's just very brief things that we're putting before you. But if you're interested at all in going to South Africa with us, we're going to try and take a, trip, uh, take a team of about 16 to 18 people with us over there. And I'd love to give you a little bit of information about that trip. Again, it's going to be over spring break, Umbo ISD spring break. We're going to be going. We're also developing a partnership with Brandon Mushinge, and I think I'm saying his name right, in Mozambique. Uh, we're establishing an international partnership as in the works with church planters in Europe and the 1040 window. These guys are actually planting churches in World A. They're starting churches in the place where, where we are not. They're starting churches in and among unreached people groups. We're also going to be developing a partnership that's in the works with a care ministry that does great work with churches in the Dominican Republic. So a little bit closer to home. So look at me. Providence is going from having almost no footprint overseas to, by God's grace this year, establishing a pretty substantial footprint overseas. And locally, missionally. Here's what I know, though. This isn't going to happen without the participation and prayerful pursuit of the people in this church. We have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to give. We have to be willing to serve. We have to pray with our family. We have to pray with our spouse. We have to pray with our children. And we have to say, you know what? We are actually going to do this. Even though it's at a time that's inconvenient, even though we don't have the money to do it, even though we're like, it's going to be a sacrifice, we have to commit ourselves to doing this. Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you wait until your life reaches perfection before you do and act on obedience in this way, you'll be waiting forever. I'm so glad Emily and I didn't wait until our marriage was established and mature to go overseas. I'm so glad we didn't wait until we had the money to go overseas. I'm so glad we didn't wait until we had the money to adopt Elijah. I'm so glad we didn't wait until we had the, I'm so glad that instead of waiting, we made the decision and then we prayerfully pursued the outcome. C.H. Spurgeon says this, for those of you that are wondering if God's calling you to act, C.H. Spurgeon said, millions have never heard of Jesus. We ought not to ask, can I prove that I ought to go? But can I prove that I ought not to go? So C.H. Spurgeon says, with so many millions, so much at stake, the question should not be, can, can God prove it to me that I should go? The question should be, can God prove it to me should I, that I should stay? Can God prove it to me that I should keep my hands on my wallet and that I should keep my booty in my seat, right? I, I use the word booty because I know there are children in the room and I don't know how you guys not even use that word in your house. The final thing that I want to bring us to communion in is the third point, is that the people of God experience the heart of God to a greater degree as we actually express the heart of God. C.S. Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another about how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is ex ex expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for or people you care for have no more than a tin can in the ditch to hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. So what is C.S. Lewis saying? 
He's saying that we enjoy more fully that which we share with others. Have you ever wondered, if, how many of you have gone on a mission trip, short-term mission trip? Or if you haven't gone, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to try to paint a picture for you. Have you ever wondered why when you go on a mission trip or if you've lived overseas as a missionary, there you are, an American, accustomed to comfort, accustomed to everything being tailored to your likings. There you are as an American with food that you don't like, with smells that you're not cool with, with sights that make you uncomfortable, with safety being a real factor, right, where risk and danger and disease and all of that stuff is far more likely to happen to you. So basically everything that you try and avoid over here, you've willingly put yourself in front of over there, right? Everything you try and avoid with the houses and the safety and the this and the food and the predictability and the McDonald's and all that, everything that you try and avoid over here, you throw yourself headlong into over there and you actually pay to go do it. And then the stories that you hear from people, most people, not all people, some people go on mission trips, they're like, I hated every bit of it. I know God's called me to be at home. <laughs> but for the most part, you hear the stories, right? I've heard the stories. People come back and they say, I can't believe this and this and this. And it was so powerful. I actually, and what's the word that you hear? I experienced something over there. Could it be that because you were out of your comfort zone, could it be that because you were in a place where your comforts couldn't protect you from what God was doing, that you actually experienced something of the love of God working through you in a way that you had not experienced here? Because you don't make yourself that available here, but you make yourself available for it there. I once had a pastor tell me, one of the challenges of Christian pastors in America is to get their congregations to see that God has actually called them to live the missionary lifestyle right where they are right now. Why do mission trips stir our affection so much? Why do, Christian, why do mission trips get under our, fin, our, our, our skin so much and do so much in our hearts? Could it be because God is actually doing something in that place of uncomfortability and that is the place that he desires us to go and follow him more often than not. Court said that if we turn down the noise, we'll have to confront some uncomfortable realities within. Well, one of the most uncomfortable things we can discover is just how much we love comfort. And just how much our comfort, actually our desire for comfort actually hinders us from living our life on mission for God. But listen, brothers and sisters, like I said, I don't just want to leave you hanging here with this daunting and overwhelming task, I want to remind you that there is a great and incredible promise in the Bible, and that is a, a, comes from a scripture that we all know, and that is John 3.16, and it says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And brothers and sisters, this is the promise that those of us who have put our trust in Christ are banking on is that God so loved us that he sent his son to save us. And in John 3, 17, it says, for Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And we know, brothers and sisters, that that salvific work that Christ desires to do happens as we act as agents of reconciliation, as ambassadors for the great cause of God's glory and his kingdom advancing. But that occurs but I want you to know that you're not going out there on your own. You are going and following a Savior who first went before you. 
You're going into a world that Jesus loves. You're going into a world that Jesus spilled his blood for. You're going amongst people that God loves more deeply than you ever could. And you're going with the love of God hidden in your heart, overflowing and, sh- and hopefully being shared and poured out for them. And there's no better place to remember the love of God for us and the love of God for the world than at the communion table. The, the, Lord's table, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper is a great reminder that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and that his body was broken for the world. His body was offered up as a sacrifice and his blood was shed for the atonement of the sins of his people. And that God's people are all across the planet and we have a mission to go and declare the gospel to them but we are reminded and strengthened and nourished by the communion meal because we know that when we are sent out of here, we're going to need all of the strength and nourishment that we possibly can get. Amen. And so if you're a Christian in the room in a moment, I'm going to invite you forward for communion. I'll pray. I'll let you know that here we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and then uh, we, we then go back to our seats and receive communion there. You can receive it on your way back to your seat. Also, we'll have some prayer partners, uh, prayer volunteers at the side of the stage. Sorry, I can't get that charismatic stuff out of me. Uh, we'll have the, 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 the prayer volunteers at the sides of each stage. So after you receive communion, if you want to go over there and, and pray, if you're stirred, you don't know where to go, prayer would be a great place to start. We have communion uh, or a gluten-free option here available for any of those that need it right here in the center of the table. But if you're not a Christian, I would, take, I would encourage you to take this time. Remain in your seat. We'll put a prayer belief on the screens and just consider what's been said this morning. If you're stirred and you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus, know that you can just as easily go over to one of those prayer volunteers and and let them know, or you can fill it out in one of the Connect cards and we'll follow up with you. If we all could, please stand. Prepare to receive communion. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he held up the bread. And he told his disciples, this is, this is my body that's been offered for you. Then it says, in the same way, after the meal was over, he took the cup and he held the cup up and he told his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's, it's, it is symbolizing my blood that was shed for you. And he tells them, as often as you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Christians, brothers and sisters, when you come and receive communion, remember that this is not just an observance. This is not just a sacrament. This is a reminder. It's a powerful reminder of God's love for you. And it should be a reminder of God's love for others. So let's come forward and receive. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these brothers and sisters. I thank you that we are gathered here in your name, for your name's sake and your glory. I pray, God, that you would use this gathering as a catalyst, Father, to send your people out on mission. You would use this gathering, Lord God, as a means to stir our affections for you and to stir our hearts for those who don't know you, God. God, may you use the people of Providence Community Church as vessels for your glory in and among the peoples of this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can come forward.
returning to your seats. Please stand for worship and respond to worship together.
Just a moment. Uh, we just want to do something here in closing really fast. If I could have any available elders and then also uh, the Malones, you guys can come up to the stage. Uh, we have our, our Sending Sunday today, which we, we love to do this with uh, new home group leaders. And so we have Josh and Emily Malone. Um, so, amen, you can give a, you can give a <laughs> hand clap to come up here. So, uh, like we said, at Providence, you know, uh, our mission is to make the gospel of Jesus unignorable in our city. Uh, and the, one of the greatest ways in which we do this is through our neighborhood home groups. And so our home groups, as we said before, uh, they do exist for the glory of God, the good of our neighbor, and the growth of one another. Uh, and so we take this very seriously, and we love doing this. Josh and Emily uh, have been the past trimester in the incubation phase of their home group, which is called Havenbrook Home Group, which meets on Wednesday uh, evenings at 6.30. I've personally been a part of their home group, and I've absolutely loved it. Uh, and so we just want to do a few things. First, uh, Josh and Emily, we want to give you this, okay? Uh, more than just, it is a Bible. Uh, it's even got your family uh, engraved in it. Not your family, but your name, okay? So, um, or your family, whatever. Uh, but we want to give this to you, and we just want to say that we uh, appreciate you guys, the, uh, what you've done so far uh, for our church, and that we believe in you. This is genuine. This is, I want this to represent that we believe in what you're doing. You guys have this position for a reason. And we believe that you're going to be used uh, to that end. And so we just thank you for that and hope you feel appreciated in that. Um, and so what I'd like to do is just uh, ask the elders. So we're just going to pray over you guys. Um, and so if you guys want to lay hands, we'll pray together. And if you guys uh, feel comfortable, you can, you can extend your hand and uh, pray with us as well. So let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for Josh and Emily and um, just uh, what they've done uh, as a part of this church and, and leading your people. And God, we pray for them right now for their home group, um, that their home group, God, would be used in a mighty way to reach people for your kingdom, to make disciples of all the nations. God, use them. Use their leadership. Give them confidence, not in themselves, but in you as they lead the people that are a part of their home group, as they try to foster a genuine gospel-centered community among the people there. Uh, God, use them in their neighborhood in Kingwood. Use them, God, um, throughout the, the city around us, God, like I said, to bring people in to hear about your good news and to believe. And then also for the people that are part of that group, God, to grow up in every single way into you, Jesus Christ. And so God, be with them, encourage them, fill them with the power of your spirit that they may 
uh, accomplish great things for your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys very much. Cool. Amen. Uh, and then one last thing we want to do before we close here is uh, we have all the kids that are going to be returning to school. Uh, so elders, if you wouldn't go too far, I want to ask you one more time. Sorry. Uh, and we would just like, if you guys want kids, we just want you to come up here in the front. If, if you guys are good for that, we'd love to just pray over you as you're kind of returning to school and whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, right there. You can stare out at everyone staring back at you if it makes you comfortable. If not, you can face the other way if you're super uncomfortable. Okay, we won't judge you. Um, amen. We just want to pray. We love praying for our children. And uh, we just want to pray that they would uh, love the Lord. And as they return to school, they'd be safe. Uh, and that God would use them even in their, their school. And so once again, if you want to extend your hand, elders, we want to lay hands on them. Let's, let's pray together for them. So, uh, Father, once again, we, we come to you. And, and we, we love that we get to pray over the children of this church. God, thank you for them, every single one of them. And God, we pray for their souls, God, that they would believe in you. First and foremost, Jesus, that they would love you from the bottom of their heart. God, that you would grant them the grace to believe in your gospel, to see it clearly, and Jesus, just to adore you. God, would you do that for these children? And also we pray for them as they, whatever it looks like for them to go to school, as they return to school, God, may you give them safety. May you keep them, Lord. May you protect them physically, spiritually, from everything that may go on, Lord. Uh, and God, also we pray that you would, you would use them in, in unique ways. God, use them in unique ways to share your name, to share your gospel, to ascribe glory to you, even in the schools of this city. God, would you use them to be a blessing to the other children around them and to their teachers, Lord, and, and use them as your witnesses. And once again, God, keep them safe, protect them, be with them, and God, grant them grace to love you. And we ask this in faith and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, they are going to go back to the classroom, and you have to pick them up through the proper procedures uh, from the classroom. So uh, just in closing, I, I know we're running a little bit behind, uh, but just be aware in your bulletin, we got some announcements there that we've been talking about, like our membership class on September 8th. Uh, we also have our grand reopening on September 9th uh, that we need, we're still in need of volunteers for. It's going to be awesome. So just keep those things in mind, and don't forget, uh, immediately after we close out here, um, that there's going to be uh, a South Africa missions trip info meeting in the offices, which is right out here, and the first one on the left out there, uh, and as Joe promised, 10 minutes long. So if you are curious, stirred for what he's been talking about today, uh, please go and check that out uh, so you can get some more information uh, on that. Um, if you're a first-time guest, just a special thank you for being here. Sorry for all the craziness, and we just uh, want to invite you. Uh, to take a step into community with us by filling out a connect cards in the, the seat pocket in front of you. You can also fill out an electronic one uh, by texting uh, connect PCC, right? Yeah, PCC to 555-888, so you can do that. Uh, also, if you call Providence home, I um, just want to remind you that the scripture calls us to give regularly, cheerfully, and sacrificially. And we remind you of this every week because uh, it's so important. And so you can give in the following ways up on the screen. Uh, if you prepare to give today, don't forget to drop it off in one of the offering boxes on your way out. And then also through these electronic avenues, you can give as well. Uh, and so Providence just received uh, this benediction. Providence, may the Lord keep you as you go. May he give you a heart for his people. And may you rejoice in his glory being spread to the nations. Love God and love people. You can go in peace.
the spark where it begins we find freedom from our sins is this the place i finally trust your presence is enough to speak loud in my darkness speak life until i know there's strength for my weakness slow
Far.